0: We don't have a board up in our in our room for a reason, because honestly, those records, whether whatever you choose, whether it's power clean or old red squat, that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, because everyone's built different. And I've seen individuals succeed that have never power cleaned. I've seen individuals that aren't monster deadlifters past selection. Um, so I don't really use any metrics in terms of that. I just want them to get better from where they started with us to before they go to a you know, selection or go take another PT test. I, I, I don't find one set exercise or movement that is gonna separate them because everyone's kind of built different. So that plays a huge role. We don't put those up there for a reason because I don't need people chasing numbers. I need people doing their job and executing well.
1: back listeners hello Liz- hello team hello team welcome back to another episode of the Moffs and most podcast drew and alex here uh we've we've been able to finally track down a legend uh and we're bringing him live to well not live we've talked about this but alex who do we have on this is a good one um those of you who are
2: who are Arctic Strong and Gas Station Ready, you know who we're talking to. Um, it took a while to track him down. He's pretty popular ever since he won Coach of the Year. He's in high He demand. also hunts in Alaska, and it's hard to connect with people that hunt in Alaska. He does. Sometimes he goes off the grid for weeks at a time to just, like, wrestle bears. We are talking to Riley Kelleher. Uh, Riley is the head strength conditioning coach for J-Bear Strength and Conditioning. Um, uh, that's also a program that didn't exist until he got there and created it. So he has shepherded that thing from nothing into the awesome program that it is today. I get shout outs from soldiers that participate in his programs all the time. They love it. We've seen people re-enlisting in his space because it's made that big an impact on what they do. Um, if you train either in his facility at J bear, or if you train at Wolfsware at Fort Wainwright, you can thank him for making those facilities happen, but he's been, he's been coaching for the military for like a decade and a half at this point. Recently at this last year's NSCA tactical one tactical strength conditioning coach of the year. Um, first civilian to graduate from the army's cold weather orientation course, earning his Arctic tab, just doing all sorts of really awesome stuff up there in Alaska making sure making sure soldiers are gas station
1: ready and riley's a no-nonsense dude which i think we did it hopefully we did justice to that and we teased that out of him a little bit because again the way that he goes about training his athletes is less about what you might be taught in a book and more about what has been shown over time to be effective and to work and so There's a lot of nuggets in this one. Riley is sort of the quintessential quiet professional, um, especially when it comes to strength and conditioning.
2: And both from us and any of our guests, of course, everything they express when they come on our podcast here is just their personal opinion, not reflecting their employer or any of the organizations they've been affiliated with at any point.
1: So enjoy. Alex took notes for this one.
2: Well, Riley, Riley saw me take the notes because I was like writing them down as I was hanging out with him up in Alaska because we were just yeah, like we,
0: we we should have recorded it in the office. That's usually where some good talks happen, you know. Yeah,
2: whenever whenever I'm in Alaska, <laughs> I stop by Riley's office and we shoot the shit for like an hour at least.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How often do you just detour <laughs> through Alaska? <laughs>
0: He pops in there quite a bit.
1: (laughs) Like,
2: thanks to some unique job opportunities and stuff, I think I've been up to Alaska like four times in the last three
1: years, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I've been there once in December, (laughs) and it was miserably cold. (laughs) I see. it's It hasn't started yet,
2: but Riley usually posts the, like, temperature indicator on his dash as he's driving into work once things get, like, real gnarly cold up there for the winter. It's wild. Yep.
0: That's where it gets fun.
2: I was I was in South Carolina when I started seeing those posts. So it'd be like sixty <laughs> for me, and it'd be like negative ten for Riley. And... <laughs> oh God!
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different.
2: Well, that uh, that might be a good starting point, actually, since you like a lot of like what you talk about and what you do is like Arctic related and Alaska related and stuff. We we started chatting when we were up there about how important it is for like if somebody's going to work with a population like that, that they fit into that culture and like want to be in that place and that kind of stuff. Um, you've had a ton of success getting people hyped on what you do in Alaska. You've got like the commanding general training in your gym almost every day. Like what, what do you think it is about like your love of Alaska? That seems to translate so well up there.
0: I think, uh, some of the harsh conditions, I think that, it forces you to be a little bit tougher. You have to rely on yourself to be uh, accountable and uh, you know, you have to be ready. I mean, the weather's going to come at you. It's going to be cold. You just have to learn to adapt to that stimulus and it's just hard. It's hard living. It's dark, it's cold. Um, You know, so it, it puts a little bit of stress on you that a lot of places don't.
2: Have you, have you found any ability to like help soldiers who like get that culture shock when they get up there? Cause they grew up in the South or something. Or do you think it's something where people <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like, like a great advertisement for Alaska? Do you think people are just like naturally down for it or not? Like, what do you, I don't know.
0: I don't think necessarily they're naturally down for it. There probably are some individuals that come up and just automatically love it. I think, uh, it builds on you. I think you learn to adapt. I think people like the struggle a little bit out here. They like the toughness, the remoteness, um, of being in that type of environment and thriving. And the operations that they get to do are kind of unique um, compared to other others in the lower forty-eight. Um, so I think it builds on certain individuals, and some individuals just love being up here. You know, they do a year, they get used to the cold, used to the dark, used to. Used to the daily operations, you know, of being in this environment, and some thrive, and some are like, "Hey, I don't want to do another tour," you know.
2: I know, having been up there just a few weeks ago, I somehow I forget every time, even though I've been up there like a half dozen times now. Yeah, you live in Chugiak and drive down to Jay Bear, and that, like, some of the mountain views as you drive, like, kind of that like stretch between Palmer and Anchorage, is just absolutely incredible, man. Like, there's nothing. Like you can go to the mountains in the lower 48. There's nothing like the range up there in terms of just like ruggedness. Um, And I will say, I know like Anchorage is different than Wayne, right? It's a very different beast up there in Fairbanks. But I ran into a bunch of soldiers who had like fallen in love with it and like reenlisted to stay in Alaska specifically because it was so awesome. I don't know. The There's lots of stuff in the news about struggles with like soldier mental health up in Alaska, but there's also a lot to love up there. I don't know
0: there is yeah there's a lot of outdoor activities you know hunting fishing that's some of the best in the world you know um the mountains like you said are amazing I think uh just getting out and getting an understanding of the area uh is huge I think you know if you stay on the installation you're staying in the barracks not getting out on the weekends trying to do things and experience new new things I mean it would be hard um but, man, there's a lot to do out here. There's a lot of new hobbies and things you can learn uh, and just experience, you know. So even if you just wanted to do one tour up here, come up and get the most out of it, you know. and You'll have experience to talk talk about for a lifetime.
1: Do you, because I'm thinking, I mean, like, obviously Fort Bragg is very different from Alaska. Do you find that the population that you work with, either comes into that environment with sort of goals outside of work from like a fitness standpoint, or they adopt that type of stuff. And what I'm thinking is guys that want to get into like mountaineering or, um, you know, hunting just long duration endurance type stuff. Once they show up in that environment, do you find that there's a demand for training for that type of thing, as opposed to just doing the quote unquote, like job specific stuff?
0: Yeah, I think that you get a wide variety guys that want to do triathlons, they want to go and do mountain runs, things along that nature. You know, guys will be doing the mountaineering things and rock climbing and things kind of on their own. I don't, you know, necessarily program anything like that per se. But, yeah, they definitely have hobbies and, you know, they pick them up too. You know, if they came up here and didn't think they'd ever do some rock climbing, we got rock climbing wall, a wall in uh, Buckner Fitness Center, you know, that they can – get their hands on and see if that's something they'd like to do. And then there's a downtown gym as well that you can rock climb at. So I think they learn to do new things and, uh, you know, it's kind of up to them to get out there and venture out and see what, what Alaska has to offer.
2: I do. This is not necessarily germane to the podcast conversation, but I'm curious how that hunting trip you went on went like, I looked up, it's like an island out like south of Anchorage. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, a Fogneck Island off of Kodiak and uh, spent 11 days out there. It was pretty epic. Very desolate. You're, you're kind of on your own. You know, there's no one else out there. Maybe a couple other hunting groups, you know, further away. But I think we saw about maybe three to five people the whole time. But yeah, just a great experience. Want to get out there and do the real thing, get dropped in by a bush plane. A beaver playing on the water, you know. Experience all the elements, you know. It it sleeted on us, snowed on us, winds up to thirty nine to forty miles an hour, you know. Not a lot of daylight, but I mean, you got enough to go out and hunt. But you realize you're not the apex predator when you're out there anymore, you know. So <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's 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 kind of cool to experience that and get kind of get your wits about you.
2: Well, I think something like that probably helps your legitimacy a little bit as a coach because a lot of what you're describing sounds a lot like being a soldier in the field in the conditions up in Alaska so you you get to know what they're dealing with and what you're training them for
0: oh absolutely I think it's crucial for coaches to be getting out experiencing the environment uh, having a better understanding you know because it's easy to say hey go outside and sleep in the snow guys or hey enjoy being in the field for two weeks and I'm sitting inside in a warm strength and conditioning facility you know so if, if you go out there and experience it and endure it you have a better understanding you can communicate with these guys you know how they're feeling you know you're beat up you didn't sleep that well it was cold the wind blew all night so you you know your tent's making noise you know there's so many variables that you learn by going out and experiencing it that that's why i'm such a believer in going out and doing stuff
1: i'm curious it's like I'm sitting here thinking about this as a strength coach and every strength coach. Well, maybe most strength coaches you talk to will tell you like, Oh, Hey, you should totally like walk the walk, but not everybody does. And I don't want to like offend anybody, but I just want to throw that out there and be like, what would just out of curiosity, like what is even the counter argument for not doing that? (laughs) I can't imagine. Like, I don't like to work out. Uh, Okay. (laughs)
0: No, I I agree with you. Um, I think there's a lot, you know, without calling anyone out or anything. I just think there's a lot of talk and not a lot of doing. And, you know, if we talk about getting real buy-in and and understanding um, from a coach's perspective and the group you're working with, you know, if you're not out there doing it, you know, you don't have to be at elite level, but if you're not out there trying to get better, how can you tell your guys to go run five miles? How can you tell them to put, 45 to to 60 pounds on their back and go ruck 12 miles, you know, while you're sitting in a warm building, you know, getting to lift to your music and and everything's kind of regulated there, you know, where they're out in the elements kind of going through it. And, uh, you know, it's just not comparable. You got to get out there. You got to experience it. You don't have to be a world-class athlete doing it, but you'll have a better communication with your guys and people you work with for sure.
2: So I'll, I'll ask you a question that we've chatted about in the past. Cause I think it ties in nicely with the, like need to get out there and experience the reality and train where they train. Um, you're, you're a pretty big advocate for the importance of having an appropriate facility to run a program though. Like where, where's that balance between like knowing how to train in the environment where they're going to train, but also being able to provide them like a space to do the training you want them to do and to introduce them to your program and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right. So I I think the the facilities, the building block uh, that's needed for them to be able to do the tasks they need to do. Um, You don't have, you know, I I wouldn't have someone get on, throw a backpack on, and, hey, you need to go ruck 12 miles without trying to build them up and progressing them to get stronger. Right. We build a foundation in the weight room and we use that as a tool so that they can be successful in their daily tasks as soldiers.
2: I'll hit you with my classic kind of. I think this is like a chicken and the egg kind of conversation, like which comes first, the the people in the program or the facility. And if I'm not mistaken, the facility you have only exists because you've been there and been able to advocate for it and being able to tell them what's necessary. Like what what do you think it is like? I don't I don't think people are gonna create facilities for like a hypothetical program. I think they're going to create awesome facilities for a program they already believe in because there's some awesome people there doing cool stuff. And I think that's exactly what happened with you where they saw the value you added and then invested in it.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, having the facility and getting the results is what built the buy-in and, and the understanding to the program. I mean, we don't force anyone to come in. They come in on their own. And, you know, they experience it and they start seeing, you know, improvement, adaptation, and then they get hooked.
2: Did J bear strength and conditioning exist before Riley Kelleher got to Alaska?
1: No. Were there gyms in Alaska before? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. yeah, We had the
0: standard bodybuilding gym. Um, We didn't get the expansion until a couple of years later after I was on board to where we had that giant facility that you've seen before. And then, we had that em- empty space in the back and that's where uh, we designed and, and came up with a plan for the strength and conditioning.
2: So how did, how did you sell that one? How did you justify that? How did you like create the, cause you've created the program you have within the architecture of like MWR really. And that's not something we've seen crop up in a lot of places. how did you pull that one off up there?
0: Yeah. You know, at, I saw that we had that open space and I wanted to utilize it to train soldiers and. We had some funding and, you know, I had an idea and did a CAD layout with a a company and then I went and presented it and sold it, you know, as, as, as a a means of providing a place for soldiers to get work done uninterrupted. So they're not fighting for equipment from other individuals using the facility, um, and it's, it's clo- you know, closed door and they get to come, to come in as a platoon and be uninterrupted. So it was just uh, drafting an idea and, and slowly just building on it and building on it. And when we got their approval, it happened. And then it was uh, put your money where your mouth is now, you know.
2: Well, it sounds like you skipped a step. It sounds like you skipped a step to a a small degree of like, yeah, there was an idea and like you designed a plan and pitched it and stuff. But what had to be in place before that was you had established your legitimacy that like you're the real deal and you can add value. So I think that's, that that's the step one here is that everybody says like, well, we can't like add the value we want to have until we have the facility. You gotta, you gotta establish as much value as you possibly can and build quality relationships with decision-makers before they're going to invest in like the improvements you need to make it the sexy, awesome program you want it to be.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely about building, you know, good relationships and, uh, you know, in a, in a way kind of proving yourself, you know Um, a lot of talk is cheap and, you know, we've seen PowerPoints, right. And we've seen things and stats and all this, you know, and then you go look at a program and it's not doing what it said it was doing in the PowerPoint you know, um, let's just be honest. We'll call it what it is. Um, so, you know, just being about it and, and making sure that you're delivering quality products, uh, was my priority. You know, once I acquired the facility, it was like, Hey, game on, we got to get things rolling. Um, and we just got to put the work in. We got to work hard. I got to work hard. I got to, you know, make sure I have everything dialed in so that we can be efficient whether it be programming, whether it be what type of tools that we need in the gym, what is going to be the most useful thing for these guys and gals to use to improve the readiness.
1: I know you mentioned that your program isn't mandatory. And then that's something that we've talked about on here a number of times with different guests is just this idea of, of buy-in and whether thing, because in the military, the easy button is to just enforce stuff. I mean, that structure is in place to where if you in some cases, wanted to do that, you can. So for you and in, in the culture and environment you've created up in Alaska, like what were some of the key or what are some of those key principles when it comes to generating buy-in and making people want to come back and want to engage and in some cases want to re-enlist because of the program that you have created up there?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. One main, one main thing I, w- I would say is just being able to communicate with different individuals is one, right? we got to be able to, to talk to different people from different backgrounds um, and motivate them and, and, and get them to come in. And then the other thing is being adaptable. So as a coach, being adaptable that, hey, one size doesn't fit all. You're not having to do <clears throat> a straight bar back squat because that's what's on the program. I can give you an alternative. Hey, maybe you've never touched a barbell. And you just need to learn the squat pattern. So we, having that on the spot, being kind of what we say game ready, when an individual comes in, we can be able to give them exercises that are appropriate for them. And then that makes them want to come in. You know, you see a lot of times groups that go in for PT, they have that one or two stud that's over by the squat rack, squatting, you know, 300 pounds, and then two other guys standing around not participating because they're not that guy, you know, or they don't have the experience. So I think, you know, being very adaptable as a coach on the spot and be able to give alternative exercises. And I wouldn't call them regressions necessarily, but just alternatives so that they can be part of the team and no one's kind of put in the corner as the odd duck. And so they feel part of the community or part of the culture inside the gym. And I think that's what helps them come back. You know, uh, I think that's a big thing
2: it's, it's interesting that you say that because it's something we talk about a lot on the podcast here. You didn't, your answer was not the results they get or that your program is somehow magically better than any other program. You talked about the way they feel and the community they're a part of. And I think like, that's something we, I want to like foot stomp and like remind people to pay attention to that and don't skip past it. Cause that's crucial. Like, what you're building in that space, like, yes, the tools you use are barbells and dumbbells and kettlebells and all those things, but like what you're building is like community and people caring about it.
0: Well, let's be honest. We got people from all different skill levels, constantly rotating through every installation, you know, every three years, every two years, we got individuals that come from athletic backgrounds or maybe, you know, not so much athletic backgrounds. So we got to be able to deliver a product that is going to meet the needs of everyone but still create stimulus uh, appropriate stimulus so that everyone gets adaptation and so that we don't have high speed guys not getting what they need and we don't have uh i would call it maybe you know novice or beginner uh not getting what they need either you know so we want to make sure that we're delivering stimuluses to everyone so we get adaptation they can grow everyone gets better and the other thing is explaining what you're doing you know, concisely without having to put scientific terms in there and try to act like you're a professor. Cause at the end of the day, most of my gut, most of my guys that come to me, Hey coach, how do I get stronger? Hey coach, how do I get bigger? Hey coach, how do I make my run faster? They don't go, Hey, is it the Krebs cycle? Is it this, is it glycolysis that's going to get this? Is it (laughs) No, you know, I mean, what's they, they want to know exactly what needs to be done. And we know the work needs to be done, but it needs to be appropriate for each individual. And that's where I think we excel is that we do a lot of individualized programming. We're able on the spot to give regressions, progressions, alternatives, whatever you want to call it. We're, we're ready to do that. You know, and I think that's huge.
1: I love that the two things we've touched on are... You don't necessarily need the facility, although you can work your way up to earning the trust of leadership to gain the facility and you don't need to back squat. You can do a variation of that and still be okay. And those are like the two biggest friction points I hear from coaches around why they maybe can't succeed is because I don't have the right stuff or people don't want to do capital M, capital P, my program. And I think it's nice to hear from you and the success you've had of like, you can arrive at that point, like we mentioned with the facilities piece, but like, you don't have to have that in place to get things started. You can work on the soft skills, which I know is something that we've hammered like in just about every episode at this point. You can work on the soft skills and you can have the intangibles in place to create success that then drives more success and more success and more success. So not really a question so much as like, it's refreshing to hear people say that over and over again, because maybe it will start to stick.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, if, if someone doesn't want to back squat, why are we going to
1: force them to back squat?
0: Is, is that, because West West help side. Them come back into our facility? <laughs> but, I mean, is it going to, is it going to help us, you know, <laughs> Are they going to come back in the facility and be be grateful that you're just hey you can't find an alternative method to get them stronger for lower body or another squat pattern that they can do there's just I think another key you know with the adaptation part and the adaptability piece is finding stuff that works for individuals and that they somewhat want to do I mean there's some things that we have to do don't get me wrong but like there's just some individuals that don't want to be on a barbell Okay, so find an alternative, you know, and and they're going to get some good responses and adaptation and good things will happen, you know, and then they're coming back. They want to come back in because they know that you will will be able to customize or change something up to the needs that they want. You know, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easier and doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be harder, but we need to continue to be able to provide things to keep accountability and consistency. Because the biggest downfall that I would see with any performance is consistency, right? If we only see someone once a week because they have to come in, you know, we're not going to get a a huge return on performance. But if they start coming in on their own on those off days that they aren't assigned to go do something, we're kind of winning,
1: you know? Maybe that, so maybe that's the measure of success then is not compliance for like, oh, we we programmed 10 days and they showed up for eight of them. It's like we didn't program for five days and they showed up for all five of those days. Maybe that becomes your measure of effectiveness is how many off days did people come to the gym? Yeah, I mean, we've had guys that have came in on donzas,
0: you know. I mean, you got guys coming in on their days off to train. That that says something about what you're doing. You know, that I think that's a good thing.
2: That's awesome. I'll kind of combine two here. We've chatted about this before. Something something I riff on a lot is that too many people don't know what the goal is that they're training for. They're just kind of like doing stuff with some vague idea of the direction they're going. And you and I have chatted a lot about kind of like people make assumptions about what tactical is or what the tactical population is and skip the whole process of doing like an actual needs analysis before they like assign people stuff. And I'll, I'll tie it in. Cause I know you're like kind of a GPP fanatic, but like tied up in that is they try and like invent sports specificity based on their concept of what tactical looks like. What, does what your process look like in terms of figuring out what you're actually training somebody for and then what you prescribe for that?
0: Yeah. So, you know, looking at needs analysis for a, a soldier and everyone's going to kind of have a different opinion, like you said. But they need to be well-rounded, and just like Doctor Orr said in, in the podcast as well, they need to be good at everything, right? Um, I think it's just picking the right exercises and movement patterns that are important, and then I also believe in rotating exercises. I think that's one of the best things that we've done is that we const- constantly rotate exercises. You know, so you know, maybe Monday they come in and they do a rear foot elevated split squat. And then the following week, you know, they're going to come in and do a pitch shark squat or a belt squat. They're still squatting. We're still getting that movement pattern down, but we're rotating that. So I think that helps with injury prevention by rotating exercises, because let's be honest, uh, we're not here to build them to have the highest uh, three lift total. You know, it doesn't really matter. We want them to be strong. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm a huge advocate of that, but you know, to be focused on the bench press, the deadlift, and the squad only, uh, you're missing a lot of variables in, in training um, that you can just get better at. So as far as the needs analysis, we need to be good at everything. We need to be thrown with different implements, uh, different planes of motion. We need to have different energy systems developed and ready to roll. And then at the end of the day, we need to be ready to go. Like, ready to go. Tomorrow, if, if the guys get – called and say, hey, you got 12 mile ruck. I want them to be ready to go. Hey, you got a PT test, no problem. We don't need to take two days of rest. We'll go knock out the ACFT, we'll be done with that, and then we'll move on with our training. You know, I understand the importance of rest and recovery and prepping up, but in the military and on missions and deployed, you gotta be ready kind of for whatever, because things change. You can have the best plan in the world, but it can change. So by preparing them with different exercises, creating different stimulus, their bodies continue to adapt. Changing different rep ranges, time time schemes, um, is huge.
1: Is this where the um, is this where the gas station ready comes from? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. We just want to be. We just want them to be ready. You know, because I, I can imagine. I.
1: I can imagine an Alaskan gas station. You're prepared for a different <laughs> kind of situation than maybe like a North Carolina gas station. I haven't encountered many bears, but I can imagine in Alaska, that might be something we have to deal with. It
0: could, it could be a possibility.
2: <laughs> I think Riley could take on a, a medium sized bear. Um, so I think in what you said, there's some cool observations that I kind of want to draw out of that. Cause they're, they're specific to like, the whole mops and mows concept of how do you evaluate the effectiveness of what you're doing? Um, Drew constantly rips on the fact that like you hear all the time that like good training is boring by nature. Like it's the same stuff over and over again. And I think some of that comes from the fact that, and we've all shared this with each other before, but like powerlifting seems to dominate strength and conditioning for some reason. And if you're training for a really specific goal, then your training is probably going to be pretty boring and pretty repetitive. Cause you have to hammer those specific things you're looking for adaptations on, but we're not training tactical professionals to be powerlifters. They have a really broad goal, like so broad that it's really hard, even hard to define it, which is challenging because we have to get more creative and implement more things and have more variety. But the benefit of that is the training does not have to be boring anymore because you're not training for super specific things. You can have a really wide degree of variety and kind of like you keep the movement patterns in mind, but you get to introduce a bunch of new stuff. And we heard Mark talk about it. Like he wants to constantly be exposing people to like exercises and ways of training that they've never experienced before. And that's a cool way to get people interested in what you do and like show off some of the knowledge you have and make yourself valuable to them. And I think that's really cool to hear. Like it it doesn't have to be super repetitive and like a feature of your program is that there's a lot of change in what they're doing.
1: Wait, I want to piggyback on this one first before you answer it, because I think there's a risk of going so far in the opposite direction that it becomes random. And so I'd love to hear you tease that out, this idea of variation, which I would agree with what Alex said. Like, that's kind of one of the keystones of tactical training, but I do see some folks take that to the extreme and we're just being random for the sake of being random.
0: Right. Yeah. So I think the first thing is, is you got to have purpose, right? So if you have purpose to your programming, and purpose to your variations and why you're doing it, um, I think that helps answer it. Um, with the adaptations and the, the alternative exercises that we provide with the so-called variations, it allows people also to find their niche, right? So maybe some guys are into kettlebells a little more, or they, they're going to grab those instead of dumbbells. Um, basically what we're trying to do is expose individuals to different imp- implements and ideas um, it's not random because we're programming it so that's where we're going to answer that is it's not just a uh, workout of the day posted on the board it's programming for the week um, so that we've answered everything and we have a reason behind certain exercises that we're selecting um, so that is the big thing and then like i said the purpose so you, you know we're not just having them work out to get tired you know, we might, we might focus on a week of, of single leg work, single arm work. We might focus on, hey, heavier loads, uh, tempo. You know, we do a variety of things so that we're creating a different stimulus because where I find injury happening is people doing things over and over and over and over and expecting a different result. And let's be honest, just like Alex said, we're not here to build powerlifters. That's great if that's your hobby. We're not here to build Olympic lifters. That's great if it's your hobby. So they don't need to be doing that over and over and over. I can give them a different hinge pattern. I can give them a different squat pattern, a pull pattern, a press pattern. That's what it's going to be uh, the most beneficial for the tactical realm because they're going to be in environments where things are going to change. And so they're going to have to adapt to that. They're not going on the football field every time. And going three to five seconds, three to five seconds on the same thing over and over and over. Every mission is going to be different. They might have to go longer endurance. They might have to have more anaerobic work to kick down a door and run up the stairs, depending on their MOS and jobs. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of variables that play in it. But when we talk about variation, we, uh, my coach, my coach Mike and myself, we have purpose behind every week that we do in our program. We're we're going. Hey, we got to emphasize more single leg work. Hey, lower back's got to be stronger. Hey, we're going to anti rotation needs to be our focus this week. Hey, we got to bump up our aerobic capacity, so we're going to do some VO two builders. So we have a concept and purpose each week, and so when it's like people take that variation to the extreme, if you don't have proper programming, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: I do see that. I mean, getting into sort of the X's and O's a little bit into the weeds. Like I see that happen a lot where, um, coaches will sort of quote unquote, come around to this idea of, of variation, but really what it ends up being is like the squat bench and deadlift form the backbone of your training. And then you just throw a Mac at the end of it and say, Hey, like, look at, look at all this variety. And it's like, well, what if they don't want to back squat? It's like, well, that's their fault. So I think it is, again, it's one of those things where it's nice to hear, like, this is a coach of the year we're talking to here and he's doing things differently. Like, oh my goodness, maybe it's worth talking about. And I guess so within that, the question I would ask you is you mentioned the coach that you work with up there, but in coming across other coaches in this space, do you find that folks are more resistant to that idea of introducing variety and all the different things we've talked about, or are they more open to that? Um, What's kind of been your experience?
0: Yeah, my experience, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's been totally like this, but I've had a few encounters where individuals come from an athletic setting and they regurgitate what was passed down through their uh, internships and grad assistant uh, time. And then they got assistant time and they're following what the head coach says and what he approves. And they're kind of pushing that philosophy instead of having their own. Um, and so then you'll run into guys that are big Olympic lifter guys and guys that are into the the big three and that's what they focus on. And you can, you can see that through their image, right? You see that through guys, you know, big strength coaches, big, they can lift big, you know, but in the tactical realm, you got to be good at everything. And I think if you want to be successful, you got to experience different things. You got to go do kettlebells, TRX, you got to go be able to run and ruck. um, and just be good kind of overall, you don't have to be great, but you got to go experience. So you have better relationship with your clientele. I mean, how can I tell them how to go swimming or write a swimming workout if i don't get in the pool ever and, and train and know how it feels to swim a 500 meter, you know, or swim a mile, you know, things like that. So I think, uh, you know, I've ran into some that are really responsive and, are open to ideas, but I think a lot of times in this realm, there's a lot of egos and there's a lot of people that are a little hard headed. Um, and I'm just kind of open to everything because I take bits and pieces from every guy out there, whether it be, you know, Louis Simmons or Dave Tate or DeFranco or any of those guys, you know, I'm taking bits and pieces. I'm not bought into this one program.
2: A question I was thinking of, as you talked about like individuals, hobbies and what they're training for, how, what, what are your training goals? What is your personal training style and how does that differ from the way you train the soldiers that come through your facility?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, my training's changed over the years, um, and it continues to change. Uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to get as strong as possible and was doing that for a while and. I kind of go through phases where I, I just go, Hey, I need to get better at something, you know? So, you know, a while back I was running a lot, trying to improve my one mile time, my two mile times, um, doing a lot more hiking and stuff last winter. Um, this winter, you know, going to get back out there, do some more rucking, get up in the mountains and do some more climbing and things like that. Um, but it constantly rotates. I don't really have just like, you know, soul set goals, like, hey, you know, I'm just going to do this or that. It's like, hey, what do I need to improve on? What I've been slacking on, you know, whether it be, hey, I need to get in there and do some more conditioning. So I'm going to implement that into my programming. Um, So it kind of rotates. But overall, I just want to be ready to do whatever task is needed. You know, I want to be able to go jump in and and run five miles or go jump in and lift weights with the guys or, or, or whatever it is. I just want to be ready to,
1: to do those things. This might be, I don't even know if you'll be able to answer this, but this is just out of my own curiosity because I love these types of questions. If you had to come up with, and you can tell me to just shut up and go away by the way, at the end of this question. But if you had to come up with some arbitrary, like up on the whiteboard, metrics that you think would define success and this can be for you or for the the guys that you work with but just some like we'll call them benchmarks because I know that's what everybody loves to hear is benchmarks but if you had to come up with some benchmarks x you know x on this lift or whatever this you know speed on this distance could you what would those be and again you can tell me to shut up and go away <laughs>
0: I mean, honestly, in the realm and what objectives we're trying to meet, we don't have a board up in our, in our room for a reason, because honestly, those records, whether, whatever you choose, whether it's power clean or overhead squat, that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, because everyone's built different. And I've seen individuals succeed that have never power cleaned. I've seen individuals that aren't monster deadlifters, past selection Um, So I don't really use any metrics in terms of that. I just want them to get better from where they started with us to before they go to a selection or go take another PT test. I mean, the results are going to be more important than the record board. Having them improve on a med ball throw or having them pass the ACFT because they weren't passing it before. Those are the results. That's the record I'm worried about. I'm worried about them improving. On those type of metrics necessary uh, to do their job or you know stay in the military, I, I, I don't find one set exercise or movement that is going to separate them, um, because everyone's kind of built different, and so that plays a huge role. And you know, we don't put those up there for a reason because I don't need people chasing numbers. I need people doing their job and executing well.
1: That was perfect. I was hoping you would answer the question that way when I initially started saying it. I was just curious to see it. You nailed it. Knocked it out of the park.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll shout out here because Riley didn't bring up specifically himself, but Riley is very anti-record boards. We've had this conversation a few times, but the one thing Riley does have up on the whiteboard in his space, and it's worth noting, there are no names associated with this. Nobody writes their name as having achieved it there's just numbers. There's the number that have attempted it and the number that have succeeded at it. And there's only two events. And they're, are events where like essentially performance doesn't matter, just effort matters. So like one is you put on a 44 pound weight vest, I believe, and you get on a Jacob's ladder and you stay on it for an hour. The alternative, if you don't want to do an hour, you can do Jacob's ladder for half an hour, but you're going to put on two of those vests. So you're going to wear 88 pounds and do it. And it does not matter how fast you go. Nobody records your time. It like, those are non factors. It's just, do you stick with it for the whole period? And, and you're not going to get to put your name on the board. So nobody's going to come in and see your name and celebrate you later. You're just going to have checked the box of like, yeah, I, I suffered that much for that long.
1: Which one's
0: harder? i i think uh the the one with the two
1: vests for sure i was gonna say that sounds worse <laughs> for sure i don't know if you've had this happen with a jacobs ladder. i get vertigo watching that thing turn over at the top because you don't know where to stare and the model that i've done it on has like if i remember there's like a uh dude wearing like a f either a firefighter or a police He's t-shirt.
2: i think he's wearing a police t-shirt
1: you know, OK, so everybody's <laughs> the picture the gets same. seared into your brain. Yeah. yeah, you stare at the same and then there's like a woman doing something and you just stare at these same people for an hour in this case and you just get vertigo because the rungs of the ladder are passing in front of you. <laughs> it's like that sounds brutal.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think what's nice about that test is it shows grit um, and it shows about finishing something that's hard and difficult. And there's a reason we have it on the board because not everyone's getting it done you know? And so we want to put challenges up there to mentally challenge them, you know, cause we're challenging them physically in the gym as well, but it's nice to have stuff besides a power clean on the board or whatever you see in a standard uh, strength and conditioning facility. I think that, I think things like that are going to have more relevance in the, in the tactical realm than how much a guy, how many times a guy benches T25. I
2: think there is something unique about like the Jacob's ladder in terms of grit. I don't exactly know what it is, but I'm, I'm routinely like, like if I do like a 20, 30, 40 minute session on a Jacob's ladder, people think it's like the craziest thing they've ever seen that somebody gets on it for like more than a couple minutes. It's just like every other cardio machine. You can use it for short bursts of high intensity. You can use it for long bursts of totally sustainable, but I still vividly remember I was on it for like half an hour at the gym here. And so my like, soldiers wandered by afterwards and were like asking how to use it. Cause they'd never been on one before. And like one of them, I like, asked, like, will this help with my two mile? And like, yeah, I mean like any, any cardio modality could help.
1: Will this help with so, my like, running. I, I don't want to run.
2: I, I said something like that. And so then like I walk away, but I keep an eye on them to see what they do. And they each get on the thing for like 30, 45 seconds and they get off. I'm like, that's that's not gonna help you too, Mile. I can tell you that. Like you gotta, you gotta actually use it for a little bit. Like it's not magic. You can't just like I don't I don't understand. But like so people have for whatever reason a huge issue pacing themselves and like staying on that thing for a while. And I think that's a pretty good like teaching implement. Like, yes, you can, in fact, get on this thing for a really long time, just like anything else. I don't know what it is. It's something it has an X factor to it that's pretty good for that grit stuff.
0: yeah. And it's great. I mean, you're, you're reintegrating the crawling pattern, right? It's basically an incline bear crawl, right? So you're building some coordination, you're using your whole body. So you're demanding more. Um, so I think it's a great tool. I mean, basically the, the evaluator, you know, is one hour of (laughs) doing an incline bear crawl, you know, with a vest on. So, I mean, it's, I think it's
1: a great tool. Alex, did you do that when you were out there?
2: I have not done it with the vest on. I will admit that. I have not done rallies events. Maybe it's because I'm just mentally weak or who knows, but <laughs> I'll, I'll crack it out. We got Jacob's ladder here. One of these days I just need to grab a vest and do it. Absolutely. I'll put it on Instagram live or something so everybody can watch me suffer.
1: Oh, there you go. How did you, I mean, not to go down the Jacob's ladder rabbit hole. How'd you arrive at 44 pounds? Was that just what you had? available
0: that's what available. that the standard weight vest we have yeah it was just hey that's what they weigh let's put it on let's see who can for an hour
2: i don't know i don't know if somebody who like talked to you or if there are other coaches that are like believers in like the weight vest jacobs ladder combo but i know at the uh at like the yarborough complex like amazing soft gym at fort bragg uh, if you go like towards the back wall you'll find like a line of jacobs ladders probably like 10 or a dozen or something like that and sitting next to them is a rack of 44 pound weight vests it doesn't feel like a coincidence that they are like fully set (laughs) up to just crush souls that way and that's like the sf group out there so like there's something there's something in the water that gets people really into suffering on a jacob's ladder
0: oh yeah yeah i think it's super beneficial i think you know in in doses it's good you know you don't always have to have a vest on or anything like that it's we're not doing it to make it tactical with a vest we're just making it more demanding um making it harder so that's what we want to do so that they have challenges so individuals can come in and you know I want to open individuals minds about what you know performance is it's being able to to do do the task right so like in the tactical realm you're going to be asked to do a lot of things and so you know the guys come in they probably don't get on the Jacob's ladder ever it's a great one to go hey guys why don't you give this a shot and five seven minutes later you know people are dropping like flies well hey we got to address this right where are we weak at where ways we can improve you know so I like throwing that out there and it's just been really good to have
1: Hold on. I got to tee this one up because we're talking about aerobic capacity. Alex knows exactly where this is going. That's where I was going go to go too. I want you to riff on zone two. <laughs> I'm not even going to I mean, riff on zone two.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I can understand uh, the premise and stuff, but here's the deal. On a day that I feel good and I'm out there running, I'm not going to go wind it back down and go, oh, hey, you know, don't set a PR today on your rock. Your, your pace is amazing today. You feel good. Hey, don't go do your best. Tone it down. You know, that's one thing on the zone, too. The other thing is, are we having individuals just maximizing their effort like that? Is everyone redlining? Do you see people out there just redlining their five-mile runs and redlining, you know, two-mile runs? I don't see that too often. I, what I see is I see frequency being integrated too much and that's where injury and improvement aren't happening i don't see it from giving effort i understand keeping people somewhat calibrated in certain scenarios but in my experience you know if i feel good i'm going to go you know and there's going to be times also that you're going to have to go when you don't want to go so I, i think there's a balance to it i'm not just totally a naysayer to zone two by any means if that works for individuals so be it um, I just want guys improving and trying to do their best every day and that's putting effort in if I always calibrate them down and think that I'm the one that has the dial switch and I can do it um, sometimes it's going to be based on them and how they feel you know I don't want to impede them setting a PR or doing better by saying hey Nope, only can be at this heart rate. Nope, only do this at this intensity. You know, I understand there's an important to, importance to progression and things along that nature, and not always redlining, but I'm not gonna just mandate that out that hey, just run at a steady state, zone two, you know. I'm sure there's times and places to do that, but if you feel good, let's go. You know, and if your programming's all right, I think you're you can be on the right track without that.
1: No, I think that's a, that's a totally valid counterpoint. And I think it's interesting too, because you, at least me and like things that I've talked about, you allow for a lot of that variety on the resistance side of the house. Like to your point, if you feel good today, like RPE, whatever, like we're going to go for it. You could definitely make the case that there's room for that on the endurance side as well. I think to the frequency point, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think you see people redlining every single day. I think the issue that I come across is that they don't go... They don't go fast enough to push, and this is a very, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but they don't go fast enough to like push the boundary, create the adaptation. They also aren't going quote unquote, like slow enough to like mess with the physiology in the right way. They're just kind of doing the thing at the pace that is like hard enough to feel hard, but not really getting anywhere. Um, I see that more often. And I'm with you. I think the frequency piece is where you see a lot of the injuries pop up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just I think that's one of the big indicators uh, of why individuals are getting hurt. I mean, if I have you bench over and over and over and over or multiple times a week on a straight bar doing the same thing, I mean, the likelihood of getting hurt, uh, in my, my opinion, goes up, you know, just like running all the time, You run all the time and you're not doing some non-impact modalities that you can do rowing, skier, things like that, and integrating that in for your cardiovascular work, you know, time is ticking till you get that injury. You know, how many more steps are you going to be allowed to do, you know, pounding the ground? So I think it's just having that appropriate balance. uh, That'll be huge for the injury thing. And then as far as the zone two, I just, I don't think everyone's out there just getting after it as hard as they can be, you know? And maybe there's a lot of individuals that are doing that, but I think it's it's the under effort, like you said. You're you're kind of in that that middle, um, and maybe that helps give them a reference to where they need to be for intensity. Um, but I just want to go out every day. If it was me personally, my beliefs, if you said, "Hey, go run three miles," I'm going to go run, you know, at a pace that I feel I'm getting a good workout. And I think that's a little different when you have seasoned individuals. Because they're going to want to push themselves and they know kind of where their threshold is and where they need to be for training. So I can see that being maybe for some beginners or some intermediates or even advanced people that like to monitor heart rate and things. But I, I go a lot by feel. And I think that that works as well. Cause I think when we start integrating a lot of metrics and things, I think we're overcomplicating things and we're just trying to get people to do work. Yeah. <laughs> Put Absolutely. effort, in, get better, <laughs> change it up. Don't run every single day. Don't run five days a week. You know, find something else to do to stimulate your cardiovascular system.
1: I've had that happen where I'll get a text from an athlete. Hey, my, my Garmin is broken. What do you want me to do? It's like, just run without your Garmin. You probably, you're going to be fine But I've actually had that happen more than five times. Absolutely.
2: The stuff you're saying, Riley, rings true a little bit. One thing I try and remind myself all the time is that I'm, I'm stuck in like a pretty decent echo chamber from where I'm from in that like a ton of my communication around fitness right now is like through the Mops and Moe's platform. And that means that I am communicating with and to people who have demonstrated like an intrinsic personal interest in improving their fitness. And that is not necessarily the whole community we're dealing with, with tactical professionals. Like clearly they're not all pushing themselves and seeking out more information and trying it. That's why we're having such a hard time getting the information to them and and a piece of that is, I think consistently most people would agree that the the folks that see the most benefit from like the 8020 polarized zone two, whatever you want to call it, tend to be like competitive half marathon and marathon runners, triathletes, and people who are doing like serious mountain stuff. And that's a different problem set coaching those people and adjusting how those people train than it is soldiers who don't like running in the first place who are probably yes. not like touching the intensity that the, the previously mentioned folks are. So you do have to keep in mind that like different populations need different stuff and just cause it works really well for competitive distance runners does not mean we would apply the exact same thing to people who are doing it just for the the sake of the endurance they need for their job.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you look at the, the volume that an elite level runner's doing compared to and, you know, a standard soldier, you know what I mean? It's, they're completely different. So maybe they need that zone too. They maybe they need to bring it down because their, their frequency of their running and their volume is so high that if they keep, they don't have a balance or a governor on it. Yeah. They can lead to injury or just overtraining at that level. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that there's different levels and there's different applications to that for sure.
2: And I do want to shout out like one reason people love some O'Reilly stuff is that where he operates and like the organization he works with and the environment they're in makes it difficult. Like Drew's at Fort Bragg. Everybody can go out and like run our dens pretty much any time of year. It's not going to be an issue. If you leave for, Fort Bragg, you might get shot though. That's true. But like up in, up in Anchorage and definitely up in Fairbanks, there are like months of every year where if you come in at like six thirty for normal PT time, it's going to be pitch black and it's going to be covered in snow and ice. And that's not a great environment to go for a jog. Um, So, like, Riley's become something of an expert in how do you condition people for the job, which is ultimately a lot of like dismounted, on your feet for long periods kind of endurance without the tool we constantly turn to, which is a ton of running and especially like road running stuff. And so, I think. Like I I'm always interested in like the modalities Riley uses and the approaches Riley uses, because even if you're not in an environment where you can't run, one of our biggest injury causing things is running. And one of the things soldiers complain about the most is running. So how can we make them better at it and not just better at running, but better at the actual endurance demands of the job, which don't tend to be unweighted running, they tend to be a variety of things. How do we make them better with alternative approaches? And I, Riley's proven to be pretty successful at that, both for guys like operating in Alaska and also for guys seeking out various selections. So that's why I go to Riley for his advice.
0: Yeah. And my, in my opinion, I, I think we can use different modalities. And that's kind of what's been successful with what we've been doing or what I've been doing up here, um, utilizing the rowing machine and the ski erg. And we have a rope trainer and jacobs ladder and we integrate pit shark marching for time um and and so those have been great alternatives you know and to be honest with you you've got to just find a way right so we find different things that that are going to stimulate the heart get the cardiovascular system elevated and, and then we do different frequencies and intensities and durations and, and rotate that through and i think that's been a great uh, alternative for them I'm not saying not to run I'm just saying I don't think it needs to be overused and abused I think it it needs to be used uh, and sprinkled in and use other modalities I mean nowadays with the gyms you know we got such great qu- equipment at a lot of installations and I think we should utilize those I think that'll help bring down some injuries and improve performance because they're just going to be getting used to different modalities and the rowing machine with the full body and the Jacob's ladders and things like that where they're going to build some great capacity uh, using those those tools and so that's what we've we've integrated in because like Alex said you know it's dark it's icy it's snowy I mean we got to get out there snowshoe you know pull sleds we have a nice turf area where we drag sleds occasionally we push the prowler so we just find different ways to do things to stimulate the heart heart rate and get it up and elevated.
2: And I think that's, it's worth keeping in mind too. Like we, we we're constantly saying, don't train for the test. And like the test is not the ultimate assessment and things like that. But it's good to remember that we're not having soldiers run so much so that they're good at running. It's just one of the many tools available. And it happens to be the cheapest and the simplest for improving their cardiovascular capacity, but there's lots of other things that can put demands in that system. And as soldiers love to say, when they're complaining about the PT test, they never run two miles in combat. So like training them in other modalities, like I, I'm, I'm not against running. I do plenty of running on my own, but I think the, the awareness that we're not for soldiers, at least we're not running to get better at running. We're running to get better at the endurance demands of their job and combat. And so it's totally fine to approach that from any angle that will improve that capacity.
0: Yeah, we're also using running to improve our recovery, right? So the better conditioned we are, the better we can recover from our workouts. So Running doesn't have to be the one dimension for the cardiovascular piece, but using different modalities is going to help out as well. But we have to be conditioned because that's going to allow us to recover from our workouts. And that's one thing that I'm an advocate about is making sure that we're balanced and we stay balanced, you know, that we got to have that because that's going to help with the recovery. It's going to help us have better workouts. We're going to have the capacity to do a higher volume. If, if we can't have the recovery to do that, we can't integrate a whole bunch more volume if that makes sense
1: no
2: it definitely makes sense and i think
1: not the first person that said that either
2: yeah definitely not the first person to say it but there's a cool combo of as far as i can tell from both personal experience and like looking at other soldiers and athletes and stuff the the ceiling on how much volume you can adapt to is like higher than the ceiling for anything else right like there's only so much intensity you can adapt to but the volume you can adapt to is massive if you approach it gradually and don't hurt yourself along the way. And like volume tolerance might be one of those like keystones of tactical training, right? Is you like, you don't know what you're training them for, but they're going to need to do a lot of it and be able to recover and keep going. And so that being able to progress them into more volume of a whole bunch of stuff is probably pretty crucial. And just a brief shout out because I have to stick it in here. But Riley's talking about like being an advocate for balance, and I'm pretty sure the last workout I saw Riley post, he was exercher like, squatting 455, followed by in the same
1: session a 12 minute two mile. The dude's pretty balanced. <laughs> I know uh, Angus will appreciate that because Angus is a big searcher squat guy.
0: Yeah, I love them. I think they're a, a great exercise to implement in the tactical environment as well as just everyday life, but. <laughs> You can really help individuals get strong you know being in that position and building core strength and it's uncomfortable so you know you're building some resiliency there um you know and it's unique and different like you said so we like to be able to come in there and provide different exercises and you know keep it interesting for individuals to come in and get better
1: I want, to throw, I want to throw two closers at you that we've used in the past before. I think I'm, I'm interested in your response to these. The first one is what's something that you've changed your mind about in the last five years? And the five-year timeline is arbitrary. It can be if you had like a massive inflection during your hunt recently, you can use that one. But something you've changed your mind about. In, re- in regards to performance? Yep.
0: Uh, I would say that I've changed my mind on the, you know, the importance of, of being conditioned. And when I mean conditioned, I mean, like Alex was saying about the volume tolerance and the importance of that, uh, to do de- decrease injuries. Um, you know, once or t- twice a week, doing a little bit of cardio, isn't going to get you where you need to be. If you want to be a elite performer, I think, uh, having a solid base of GPP is, is huge. Um, integrating the sled pulls is, been huge for performance and low intensity, uh, builder. So, you know, I've added the sled more than I ever have in the last five years, you know, we do that occasionally, but, uh, just building the GPP up and building the conditioning piece, that foundation so that you can tolerate the stresses that you're going to put on yourself, I think is one of the big things instead of just lifting weights and expecting that to be that, that building block solely by itself of just, hey, you hit the weights, you're good to go. You do a little bit of running here and there, you'll be all right. You'll be a lot better if you integrate a little bit more conditioning
1: at different intensities and durations. Second part of the question, what's something you've doubled down on? Doubled down on? <laughs> In terms of what? Performance. Something you know to be true now. Something that you've doubled down on. Something that you're like, yep, that's that's for sure. I'm about that.
0: I'm about rotating exercises. It's uh, I've doubled down on that instead of just always doing, you know, four weeks in a row of the same thing. Uh, rotating exercises. Still hitting the movement pattern, but rotating the bar or the angle or the tempo.
2: I think it was during squat over that I visited Riley a couple of weeks ago. Like-
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that variation, I, I would say I doubled down on that. We've, we've kept injury rates down because we're rotating things and they're not getting overused by doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You know, we're, we're doing different movement patterns with different implements and that's allowing us to, to get it, an adaptation, uh, from that stimulus. And I think that's helped reduce injuries because again, you know, if you run every day, eventually, uh, you know, you could be ending up getting hurt from overuse. And so we just try to rotate exercises. I'm a big believer on that. As long as you have a purpose and a program behind it.
2: Well, before we close out, I'm going to take a couple of minutes here and just embarrass Riley publicly (laughs) because Riley Riley's an extremely humble individual. Um, He does not toot his own horn. He's not seeking out attention, none of that stuff. Um, But there's a reason Riley's coach of the year. And there's a reason people are re-enlisting in his gym. And there's a reason I get so many messages anytime I mention Riley on my platform from people who are like, that's my coach. And like, like, hell yeah. Like when are you getting him on the podcast and all that stuff? Like he has, he has sort of a cult following of like anybody who's been to Alaska and cares about training knows who Riley is and loves him. Um, And just like, I guess one like tiny example that stands out to me is they like special operations leadership went up to Alaska to track down Riley and ask what he was doing because people that were coming from there were passing selections at higher rates than people that were coming from anywhere else. And they wanted to know what the secret sauce was. And it turns out the secret sauce is Riley's training. And that's like, that kind of speaks for itself. I think in terms of Like the proof is the results and not the results in terms of a record board with some crazy high squat maxes on it results in terms of people getting better at their job and getting to pursue cool things professionally that they never would have without access to training like that. So Riley, you already know I'm a fan of yours, but we've, there has been significant demand of people wanting to hear from you on the podcast. Not a lot of people get to learn from you unless they get the chance to go up to Alaska, but you're doing awesome stuff up there. I'm really glad we got you on
0: yeah no i appreciate you you know pulling me on and uh having a good conversation
1: and don't try to follow him on instagram because he won't accept it it took i think several months to to get admitted into Raleigh's world so thank you for that <laughs>
0: <laughs> no problem
1: <laughs> in, in a
2: in a career field where it seems like we i hope people that follow me have heard this message a lot but just because somebody's platform is massively popular and they're making a bunch of money does not mean they're the best at what they do. Um, There's a lot of like charlatan stuff on pages that are massive and accepted as like the truth. And rally is a perfect example of, I think the people who know it the best and are having the most impact are just in their corner of the world, making the impact with the people they work with and not like shouting it to the heavens to get a bunch of attention for it. Cause the way you get attention is very different from the way you get results. And Riley has completely ignored any desire for attention and completely focused on the desire for results. And it shows.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. uh, That's what we're about is uh, getting results and getting people to achieve things that they didn't think were possible, you know, and, and provide them with the right tools. And so that's what I'm there for is to help, help individuals get where they need to be.
1: Hey guys, Drew here. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you found it useful or enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you giving us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. You can also give us a follow on the Mops and Moes Instagram. And if you'd like to reach out, send us a message on Instagram or shoot us an email at mopsinmoes at gmail.com. Thanks.